Welcome to the Digital Forester Podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester. Today, it's my pleasure to bring Bruce Ripley, Senior Project Manager with the Strategic Innovation Arm of Manulife Investments. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Kevin. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. So did I get the title right? We were joking at the start that Manulife, for those who don't know, is a very large insurance group. Um, I joke with my friends often. They they say, you know, you're dealing with trees. And I'm like, you know, seriously, you have trees in your investment portfolio. You probably don't even realize uh, that they're there. Um, but formerly Hancock Forest Management, Han- Hancock Natural Resources Group, what, what's the latest uh, in terms of uh, your position with, with them? Yeah, so Kevin, I've, uh, I've been with, with uh, Manny Life Investment Management for about 10 years now. And um, Manny Life, as you said, a large insurance firm uh, worldwide. They merged with John Hancock about 15 or so years ago, and uh, eventually they've become the, they're the dominant brand worldwide. And in the United States, they still fly under the Hancock life insurance banner. And as you pointed out, most people don't realize that one, that most insurance companies both, both do insurance and they do private equity management. And, and Hancock um, had a very large Timberland Agriculture Investment Group. Um, um, at most of the time, we're the largest in the world for for TMOs um, for managing private Timberland equity. Uh, kind of depends on the day anymore. There's a couple others who are fairly large who do the same sort of thing. But we manage Timberlands. We don't own facilities, not yet anyway. And we uh, we manage uh, about three, a little over 3 million acres in the United States and somewhere around 3 million acres um, outside the United States in Australia, New Zealand, Chile, cool. Brazil, Canada, and a, maybe a couple others. Yeah. So global, global footprint. Global. There global sure. Yeah. And we, and we manage, we manage, like you said, we manage private equity. Most people don't know that they probably do have timberlands and agriculture in some portfolio that's hidden away from them, either pension wise or 401k. Yeah. So lots of people have that. It's very important. And uh, yep. so Hancock's Manny Life's part of that. For sure. Cool. Very cool. So for our listeners and viewers, Bruce and, know, Bruce and I know each other intimately well. So if you start hearing us giggling or laughing or going on a side tangent, just just go with us. Uh, I promise one of us will pull it full circle back to, to the conversation. Uh, so uh, customary with this podcast, we always start off with um, uh, the individual's journey. And I know you know, botany to start, then, you know, into Duke for forestry, and then Boise Cascade at some point, but maybe bring us back to the, the, the start, like, like connections in the family with forestry, or just, just got it, like, what, what's that story, or you lost a bet in NCAA tournament, and you had to go to forestry? <laughs> no, no, I, uh, I grew up in West Virginia, and always was very connected with outdoors type stuff, and, um, I don't know, sometime in high school kind of caught the bug to, to go into forestry and uh, Duke um, had, and they still have a three, two program where you could do three years of undergrad and then go do two years of grad school and finish out your undergrad degree and so forth. So I got interested in that, started at Marshall in botany and uh, decided actually to finish out there and just do my four years there and then went down to Duke for two years for, for grad school. And so I was focused mostly on microbiology, physiology, um, that aspect of 
of botany, right? And then when I went down to Duke, I fully intended to get into forest pathology, spent. Um, Duke requires you to take a lot of quantitative classes for your degree. So by default, that becomes sort of the major part of your degree. But all of my other stuff was focused on, on physiology and, and forest pathology. And so um, thinking that that's what I was going to do. And that was 19... 87 through 89, which happens to also be when computers were transitioning from being in a room hidden away to PCs on your desk at home, which is most people can't even envision a world where you don't have a have a computer in your hand, right? Yep. And that's far more powerful than, than anything I had. And so um, somewhere in my first year at Duke, I started to hear about something called GIS and worked with the school to help bring a professor from Yale down to teach a course um, in the fall of 89, fall of 88. And um, as it turns out, I ended up taking a, a PhD course over at NC State in, in plant epidemiology that conflicted with his lecture, but I was able to sit in on the lab. So I went to the lab, so I had a whole lab's worth of experience on GIS. And, uh, graduated and headed up to Maine. Well, I applied for a GIS forester job in Maine as on, on a lark. Uh, was, I thought, well, I could probably learn that. And, and uh, they said, yeah, we want you to come for an interview. So I went over to NC State because they had ARC Info and, this, and, and Boise was transitioning to ARC Info. And I went over there and the, if, you're, if you've been around this game much very long, ARC Info used to have a set of books that would fill a bookshelf. Yeah. There were binders. And they were $1,000 for a set. You, you know, there's some people listening going like, I have no idea what these guys are talking I, about, right? I have no idea, right? I have no idea. What's a book? Didn't you just get on the online help? No, there was no online help. And it was all command line. Well, I went over and found somebody at NC State who was, who was friends with a professor at Duke. And the professor at Duke called and said, okay, he'll bring the books back. So I borrowed three, three of their books off the shelf and read what I could read on the way to Maine on a plane, got up there and convinced them that I could do that job. And that set forth a journey with Boise Cascade for 16 years until Boise Cascade sold their Timberland assets, uh, like most of the vertically integrated companies in this country, uh, sold most of their Timberland assets because of some tax law twists, right? So REITs basically. And um, that sent me to, uh, I was in Boise, Idaho at that point. And that sent me over to uh, Portland with a company named Force Capital Partners. And we had a seven year run with them and they were, we merged with uh, Hancock Force Management, which is now flying under the banner of many life investment. Wow, wow. There you go. Cool. There's your full circle twist, right? Yeah. Well, part of it is I'm thinking for our listeners, viewers, REITs, real estate investment, uh, trust, right? The jargon. Yep. And then, uh, and then for our other more wise, uh, seasoned uh, listeners, right? We're laughing because we remember those books that were white, the little Esri logo at the bottom. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and for those youngins who are listening, it's like, what, like command line? Like, like GIS command line. I'm like, yeah, come on. You guys are writing scripts in Python. It's not that uh, different. We're not, not that, that uh, old per se, but, but wow, what a journey, like coast to coast. So lots of yep. corporate knowledge, right? If you're at Boise for 15 years, you know, you've been at our manual at Hancock, I'll use them interchangeably for 10. Like, 
Like that's some serious corporate knowledge and you've seen a lot through your career. So maybe as we jump in, you mentioned when you started, you know, GIS was kind of coming alive. Uh, computers were coming alive. Would you say the world, you know it, or you see it or live it, I guess is the right word today. Would you have envisioned or imagined that back in your younger days? Yeah. So, so that's a very interesting question because I, um, I often tell people that I still see systems being developed that I call systems from the 90s or when I'm especially um, uh, not happy, the 80s, um, right? Which were very primitive. If you were have any concept of what was going on in the 80s, I mean, there were some things there, but man, they were primitive. Well, I still see, I, and I'm sure we'll get to this later on the, on the forest operations side of things, okay? But I still see systems that, that look to me like they're 90s based. Their 90s thought, their 90s uh, architecture. Um, is that bad? N no. I mean, those systems supported businesses, big businesses. But did they do it easy? And did you extract the value that you've invested in them? Well, now that's a big question. So now I'll flip this. So in 2000, I, I, I remember this. I'm not going to use names. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But in, night, in 2000, um, I was in Boise, Idaho, and um, was part of a group that was developing new technology. And we had a company who some, some listeners will know who it is, I'll bet, come around and say, oh, we can, tell, we can automate your polygon delineation, and we can type your forest, and we can tell you what's there, what species, how big, all of that. Now, this was all using satellite remote sensed imagery. And they tried to sell that. And I often call that with you, especially snake oil. And I especially hate snake oil salesmen. I, I, I would much rather you say, I can sort of do this, than tell me you can do it and then find out you can sort of do it. I just loathe it. And um, that particular individual, we were able to sniff that one out. And sure enough, that company kind of went away um, remnants of the company still kind of exist around, but they, they went away as a group. And, and uh, but I said, you know, it's, I don't know how long it's going to be, 10 years, 20 years, we're going to name every tree in the forest. And the project I'm working on right now, we are naming every detectable tree in the forest. Literally, we're at 700 million right now. By the time we finish our project by the spring of next year, it'll be something over 1.1 billion trees that we will have identified individually and put a name on them as a good ID, right? Or as I like to call it an Elon Musk child name. And we will, <laughs> and we, and we will, and we will, it's unpronounceable and you know what it means, but by goodness, it's an individual. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting twist. Some things you can look back on and say, they look just like they did however many, a decade, two decades, three decades ago. And some things you can turn around and go, wow, we really got to, this place. And so I, I see the last five years from a digital forestry standpoint as, as a break point from we were going to do some things that were far more precise and far more detailed to now there's just a number of companies who have already gone over the crest. They're on the backside of the hill now and, mm -hmm. and we're doing it, albeit we still have systems that are based on some older technology. So we're in this 
They're in this world where both of those two things exist. So I suspect people listening and viewing suddenly perked up in their chair and said, okay, like, what? Like, you know, good, you know, like lots of trees, individual tree. So they're probably thinking, all right, like, let's just get into it, get into the juice. So I'm going to assume LIDAR is a buzzword. I'm going to assume other things, but what can you share with us in terms of the digital technology <clears throat> you're using in forestry today? You kind of alluded to some of it was already there, but probably maybe evolved or matured further in different ways. But from your seat, looking at what you're doing now uh, at, at Manulife, and obviously, you know, they're making those investments. You know, when I talk with people, like these are substantial investments going in, um, given the assets at, at play. But what can, maybe I'll frame it this way. Um, what are the key technologies you're using today? And if you can describe them, and then maybe kind of give that other lens of saying, it gets us close enough, but here's some other opportunities. So some of our listeners can go, Hey, I'm working on that. Uh, there's still hope for what we're doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a whole mouthful of questions there. Okay. So we'll just start with one of those and we'll just see where we wander on this. Okay. So it's because some of it's really interesting on, on how, not just what you're doing, but how, how, well, how do you do it technically? And then how do you do it? How do you do it from a logistics valuation asset management standpoint it's very interesting right the whole that whole picture uh because you can't flip a light switch it's not that's not how this whole game works Bruce, out. i can put an airplane in the air and it'll shoot all these lasers and it's super yeah. cool star wars yeah. it's good trust me so, yeah yeah so so let's see back 28 10 somewhere right in there at force capital um, I was running the Western, kind of the Western analytic systems for the group, GIS inventory kind of hodgepodge together. Um, hodgepodge makes it sound like it wasn't, wasn't uh, um, achieving what it should. It was actually, we were ahead of our time, I think, but we were a small group, right? And, and so we started, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, forestry really started to look hard into LIDAR for data. And, and what I would tell you is, what, what I got from looking at it and listening at that point was, well, you, vegetation's hard, but we can get the ground, we can get DMs. We can, and, and so we kind of looked at that and the cost at the time and went, oh, how much is it worth to us to just know the ground better, right? Just the ground form better. Well, it's not worth as much as they were charging, right? Because we have, look, you're an investor and everything I've managed for decades, you're an investor. And, and it's kind of my job to make sure we don't waste your money on something that's not sure. going to give full value, right? Um, and, and I call it waste because if I can't use and enable the data, it's, it's a waste of the invested dollar, right? I got other things I can invest in, which would help much more, right? So, so I started looking at that and went, man, I just, I can't get my head around where the value is across the board, okay? Um, and, and, and so then fast forward five or seven years and I'm at, I'm at Hancock and we're think we're facing the same dilemma, more pressure from groups to do LIDAR cause it's the coolest thing ever. You can show pictures of stuff that is the coolest where, how, how do you get that to, to actually make a dollar on an invested dollar? Right? Is that or pressure coming from inside your group or is it more like uh, industry think... pressure with people chatting? No, no. Oh, or... no. Other people were doing it. Okay. We weren't doing it because, because we're fiduciary and part of our obligation to you as a 
client is to not do something it's with your money, your money that's foolish. Yeah. So we, I mean, you can hear it out. Oh, we take those things very seriously, right? And so I, I especially take it very seriously. If I'm going to invest a dollar, I'm going to invest a dollar. Okay. Now, does it have to return 20% a year? No. I can get, we can buy less of that, but it's got to produce value. All right. So about 2015, we started to think about this a little bit differently because I started to see, and some other people in our group started to see products that were multi-use. They weren't just the surface. They weren't just the DM. Now you start to see vegetation. And early on, you started to see area-based estimates of vegetation, forests, other things, whatever, right? And now, 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 now that started to get more interesting, right? And the price of LIDAR continued to fall. So the technology started to ramp on a hyperscale and the costs started to fall on a linear scale, not quite as fast as the technology was improving. So now you're getting this improvement in technology and you're getting this drop in cost. And so now you kind of went, okay, well, maybe. So somewhere in there, 2018, I met you at the Esri conference. And actually, I met you in Blacksburg at the, at the LIDAR convention, the Silva Laser that was going on there. So I walk into Silva Laser. And I would say I'm pretty informed. I, I keep up with technology. I, I, I'd like to think that I can think outside of that box a little bit. And I remember distinctly walking into the Silva Laser Conference in Blacksburg and sitting down and listening to the opening plenary session and going to two sessions. It was the first noon break. And I walked out of one of the sessions and, I, and this is an honest skin story. And I shook my head and I went, I am the dumbest person here. I am, I, I am the dumbest person at this conference. Everyone, you have our permission to record that. So for yes. those who know oh, Bruce, yeah. when you see him, yeah. you can just replay yes. that again. It's totally true. Just, just put I'm it on a loop. And, I, and, 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 and anybody that knows me very well knows that that's probably not going to sit very well. So I decided I could either leave or I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to learn what I don't know. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to sort through the snake oil, of which there's plenty, and find those things that I think really are actionable, investable things. So part of that, I met you. I met some other people in the industry. And then the ESRI conference the next year, could have been the next fall, actually, probably was. Uh, you and I got together and sat for, I don't remember how many hours, uh, during the conference, but then up at Balboa Park with me just picking your brain on all of your smarts, trying to suck all your knowledge out of your head. So, so the funny thing is this year at the Ezra user conference, I was with my crew. They're like, where do we go? I'm like, uh, dude, I like, I have no idea. They're like, what do you mean? You said you came before. I'm like, last time Bruce took me around, we were talking, <laughs> like, well, well, where do we get a soda pop? I'm like, I think Bruce said like, this is the shortcut. <laughs> and we kind of, and then there was, was the pavilion for soda pops, right? They're like, oh, we just jumped the queue. I'm like, hey, these are pro tips for Bruce. But yeah, I remember that finally, we just talked shop, had lots of, lots of fun with that for sure. Yeah. So, so that's kind of setting the stage for, I think that's when a whole lot of this LIDAR value started to unlock. And, and actually in the, in the past four years, I'd say I've gotten myself very much up to speed, right? Uh, and and can, feel like I can at least hold my own in, in most of these conversations. 
So Mamie Life took that. We started thinking about it. And we ran a couple of projects, test projects. You ran one of them for us. We had another company run another one for us. Um, and then we kind of came to an emotional hurdle. So I talked earlier about the technology side. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what started to evolve on the technology side? I'll tie this down first. The, the, the fact is, is that the, there's a couple of approaches to, to doing LIDAR-based um, veg assessment, forestry assessment, right? Uh, one, one's kind of an area-based approach. The other one is doing individual tree detection, which is still an evolving science. That is an early stage thing. Um, we, we looked at it and said, well, both of them could do the job. Um, you've counseled me that something between eight to 12 pulse probably gets you a pretty decent answer in an area-based approach if you, if you do your training right. Um, and a couple of the other companies, Northwest Management uh, and a couple of others have told us, well, if you, if you wanna do individual trees, you've actually got to ramp up your detection rate. And so what I'll tell you is that it's somewhere around a minimum of 16 pulses, which three or four years ago was actually on the upper end. Now it's not so much yeah. the upper end. That's it's kind of the middle. <laughs> it's kind of the middle of the band now, right? Yep. And so, and so, um, somewhere north of sixty. By the way, it's not just about pulses, right? So, anybody knows anything about lidar? If somebody tells you about their pulse density and that's all they they stop, then then I always scratch my head and go, "You don't really know what you're doing, do you?" Because I need to know how much ground. I need to know how many ground returns you had. I need to know what the intensity of the laser was. I need to know what the angle of attack of the laser was. Blah blah blah. Right. Lots and this, of is, and this is linear mode we're talking about, right? This is linear yeah. mode, and they're okay. So then you hit another one, which is one of the things I walked away from Blacksburg with, which has always been very valuable to me, and I tell people it a lot is, lidar isn't lidar. There are many many forms of lidar, okay, and there are drone lidar and plane lidar and helicopter lidar and satellite lidar aren't different lidars. Those are different platforms. They're just a platform to get something up in the air, shine a laser down, just platform. Sometimes it has, you know, you got some physics involved on how fast light moves, so you collect more points, but it's still same technology, but there are different forms of LIDAR, right? And we, we don't go to those right now. So anyway, so we take, we, we started looking at this and started thinking about it. We did a project, uh, you did a project, we did another project. When we looked at it, we kind of came back and said, okay, here, here's the deal. We, really want to be in individual trees. Well, why? Well, because I'm looking ahead through the mist and the fog, looking, going, if, if we can find the trees, or at least most of the trees, especially the dominant trees. So can you find a little tiny baby tree under a big tree? No, you can't. No, you can't. But guess what? You can use statistics to put it in. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we're doing, right? So, so the company we're working with right now uh, has a product called Forest View. You can find it online at just look up Forest View in a Northwest Management, and that that's a they will license that technology out, and it does a whopping good job at actually extracting stems from a quality lidar data set. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we that's kind of where we looked at and said, well, if we can get there, we've got a product that's well beyond what we currently have had forever right so i i often make jokes about about um the way we do forest sampling well the way we did forest sampling three years ago two years ago um going out and taking plots and doing traditional crews and expansion and statistical processes and so forth 
that's happened since the first cave forester walked out <laughs> and, 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 and wrapped the guts from some animal he killed around a tree to figure out how big it was, right? So it really, it's almost unchanged in, in literally, you go back 150 years into some of the early German work in, in, in Europe, and it's not much different. Yeah. It's really not. So going to an individual tree was a risk. Um, but it was going to put us in a place where we probably weren't going to get a lot better than that, right? Yeah. So in the end, that's what we decided to do. There are many competing technologies. <clears throat> it's not the right answer. It's an answer. But, but here's the really interesting hurdle that most people don't think about. So we're managing, I'm just going to focus on North America for a minute, something around 3 million acres. And we decide, okay, we're going to fly everything except for our very um, high density hardwoods. So we have property in Michigan, it's all hardwood. We have property in uh, Pennsylvania, it's all hardwood. Um, and, and we know and those environments are more challenging from an IT <sighs> point of view, right? We, we all know that, but then. Absolutely. Yep. So trying to pick out hardwoods right now as an individual tree detection model is a challenge still. And so we expect um, a less than perfect answer there. It's actually pretty good. When we compare the volumes so far in the southern United States is where we've been focused for the current time being. Um, but conifers, it does a great job. It does a fantastic job. And uh, uh, is it perfect? Well, I don't think anything's perfect. Uh, you know, I, 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 I can tell you that any number of problems with your traditional cruising, with your cruisers going to the plots and finding the actual plot and actually measuring a tree on the plot and all the expansion and all, there's all kinds of error in there, right? There's reasons why there's type one and type two errors and why there's statistics. And, and, so, and so we, uh, we started on that journey about, let's see, we flew our first high quality data set in 2020, in, Jan in December of 2020, January 2021 is kind of what we call it. And we flew through July of 2021. So I'm on a call with our, with our uh, world. We, so we're a worldwide company. We got a group that just talks about LIDAR. We just talk about what we're doing, right? And so we've got some, uh, we got some, some kin down in, in, in New Zealand who are, who are well advanced past us. Area-based approach, older LIDAR sets, flown with consortiums, with the government, eight pulse, kind of that standard bread and butter stuff. Yep. Uh, and it works pretty good for them but they're on a very limited plantation. They're only looking at plantations and they only look at a couple of species and they know what they planted and it's highly controlled. Yep. Okay. And then Australia started, was doing the same thing. And they were, they were working with another company He's actually affiliated with Northwest Management called Interpine out of New Zealand. And, um, and they were doing it. And so we, we listened to them and then we looked at our North American challenge and went, Whew. it's, it's 20 different biomes that we're sampling yeah. ecosystems we're sampling in. Very different from, from Pacific. Oh yeah, from Pacific Northwest dug fir, pretty much solid and hemlock solid to the Intermountain West, lots of mixed species plus plantations to red pine in, in and hardwoods in Wisconsin to Southern pine dominated by loblight pine. Right, that runs from Virginia over to Texas. And we looked at that and went, um, there's a reason why we, we think this, the individual tree gets us closer to what we think we need, 
right? Because of those complexities, it allows us then to have all the movable parts to do other things. Like yeah. we can make an area-based approach and we do, right? That's a valuable thing. There's lots of things you can do with that. So, so we took that and we looked at it and we said, we have to fly the whole project that wants to afford it. We have to be our own consortium. We can't wait for consortiums mm -hmm. and consortiums are a nightmare. You never get the specs you want yet, and we weren't going to compromise. So we said, we just got to fly ourselves. How much do we have to do to get some pricing that kind of looks like that? Well, as it turns out, a lot. <laughs> and we had yep. to do the whole, we had to do all 3 million acres at once. And our friends over New Zealand and Australia went, you're crazy. You're never going to get that done. And we buttoned that project up in less than six months and went back and went, well, we were crazy. That's true. But we did get it done. And it's just surprisingly doable. Even so that hard. Yeah. So what do you think on that front, like flying that type of job? You know, there's always people who say, you know, you can't do it instead of coming to the table with actual, how could we move forward? But thinking of vendors, like what's your experience? So I suspect a lot of people listening again, because, you know, the Bruce Ripley name, the Hancock slash Manulife um, carries weight is going to draw listeners in, but maybe from like a pro tips point of view, other large entities thinking about this. And by the way, I love it because you know, you, you know, I've been at this for a long time. Really, the success comes into when that organization or the business owns the business problem and understands what they need and they look at the technology landscape and who can help them achieve it versus letting something try and shoehorn, you know, this, this shoe fits everybody and this is how it, it's done. Our experience, what I've seen is that people who really dig in, understand what their goal, like what their KPIs are, what their metric success, success are, the ones that, 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 get a w or a win because to your point's like you're not trusting the itc to work everywhere as opposed to those areas that are high worth assets you know let's put the money where the 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 value is so that's awesome but i'm also going to suspect going through the years you've had some uh uh, uh mapping vendors that maybe haven't lifted up to snuff and are there any pro tips that looking back you're like man it's like if i just knew that i would tell you know Joe, Jane, whoever it is, like think about this when you're kind of planning a project like the one you undertook. Any pro tips from that side? Yeah, I got a couple. I got I got one that we're gonna we ought to trademark this. I should I should trademark this with me. Um, but but one of the things that's driven me nuts about systems over the years, both systems that we've had developed outside and systems that we've developed internally, is they always tend to skip things. So for instance, we only measure the plantations. We only put plots in plantations. We estimate natural areas and riparian zones. Well. Those are important. They're important for maybe some other reason. Maybe not super high value, but they do have asset value during acquisition divestiture periods. And, and they do provide habitat and they do provide carbon and they do other things, right? And, um, and so one of, the, one of the mantras that we've lived by for North America for this project is wall to wall and cradle to grave. So do not shortcut yourself on your inventory systems by looking at your entire footprint and saying, well, we don't need the data. It's not very important. It is important. It will eventually be important. You know, okay? somebody's trademarking that right now, right? They're like, I know that. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to love it. They're going to love it. That's right. <laughs> well, maybe I got it on here. Maybe some, 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 judge, will, some judge will grant me uh, uh, time on that. So, and, and, and cradle to grave meaning... I'm going to roll back as far as it comes from. I, I, when I was in college, I spent five years working in a dairy department at a grocery store, a big grocery store. And uh, when we did inventory, an empty shelf was an inventory as well as a full shelf. An empty shelf is an inventory. It's a zero, but it's an inventory. And you know how much you have, and you know you need more. So when I look at inventories, 
I, I want to see an inventory that has bare ground from a clear cut, from an overstory removal. It just happened that you don't know what's there or it's a natural pasture or whatever. I want to see bare ground all the way to the oldest old growth. I want, I want, I want all of it. We need to know what is there. The qu question about inventory isn't, where are my big trees? Which has always been the focus for uh, mm -hmm. decades, hundreds of years. Oh, well, we're going to go measure all the, all the stands that were 12 years old or 15 years older. <laughs> what? No, it, really, it matters. All of this stuff matters. The development from a young stand to a medium age stand matters. And if you don't have data, you can't measure it and you, and you can't quantify it. Right. And so one of the things that's driven me nuts is not being not having any data. Right. So so that was those were the two things. Those were two pillars that we put in and said, we're going to do every acre and we're going to do it. Well, no, regardless of what state it's in, we're going to know the answer. And the really cool thing about doing LIDAR at the whole property level is we got every corner of every acre in the United States that we flew and we got every possible characteristic. And the other thing that's really neat is this whole concept of net acres, where you go out and do it, you do a sample, and then you have to say, well, this is how much of the, of the uh, area we actually sampled that had trees, so therefore you expand it and blow it up and do all kinds of witchcraft to it, and then you come up with a number, right? The really interesting thing about LIDAR, and it's the thing that, I don't know, I was uh, a couple of years ago sitting looking at data and went, net acres make no difference they're gone because now with an individual tree model especially you've now quantified where there is a tree and where there's not a tree and there are no trees that contribute to areas where there are no trees so you can put a donut hole in the middle of something and you can add up all the trees that are there and the lighter just says oh, there are no trees there so i won't count any mm -hmm. so there are no net acres there are just gross acres Yep. Well, I want to buffer this out because that's not productive and I'm going to leave that in a buffer zone. That's up to you. That's a management decision for your company and you can dial that however you need to, right? But you're just dialing gross acres out. You're just saying, I'm not going to count these trees. Great. That's, that's again, that's up to you. That's up to you against your goals. So there's another one. Let's see, more pro tips. Um, be, be careful with your, with your with, if you're flying LiDAR, know, know, know what your specs mean and make sure you know what you're getting. So one of the pitfalls of eight pulse LIDAR, especially because it tends to have a lower intensity a lot of times uh, for the laser, is that in, in deep dark holes, especially in the Pacific Northwest and a few other places, you can get some significant ground skips. So saying that you need to have a certain number of ground points, it doesn't really do it. It really needs to be area controlled. So one of our specs is is that 98% of every square meter in North America that we flew had to have a ground return, 98%. And no area bigger than five by five meters could have a skip. And if you had an area more than five by five, you had to refly that piece. Right. Well, number one, it gets people very, very focused on keeping their quality up. Um, and it's achievable. And, uh, and that's not just a spec we use here. It's actually a spec that our Australian brothers and sisters are using too. Same kind of thing. They well, Bruce, I can interpolate that. that. If I don't get it, I can yeah. just interpolate it. What's you the big totally, deal? What's the big deal? So I'm looking up in uh, Western Washington and I'm looking at a stand of Douglas fir. And I'm looking at it and all of a sudden the center of this stand is, is short. And I'm like, wow, 
that must be a site index break that we don't know about. That's very interesting. Why are those trees so short? Why are those trees short? And then I happened to look back at an old USGS topo, digital topo, and there's a draw that was about 25 feet deep there. And what had happened is that the laser had come across and had gotten a ground return on one side and a ground return on the other side and left this, I don't know, four or five acre void where it didn't get a ground return because it was dense vegetation and it happened to be a little wetter than it probably should have been, right? So moisture matters when you're flying LIDAR, right? Mm -hmm. so, so they had missed this trough and now they did exactly what you said. Oh, Bruce, it doesn't matter much. I'll just average, I'll interpolate across that using any number of technologies. And, and I can get that average. Well, see, that doesn't work because now all those trees are 30 feet shorter than they should have been. Absolutely. And they're really not. So when we flew back over that exact same spot with higher specs and the correct specs and more detailed ground control, all of that draw comes out. And so I have a little map that I keep around on that little draw, right? Then they went looking for that pattern. Well, as it turns out in the flight, that was, that was a 2016 flight, um, there were mm, hundreds of acres like that, hundreds. Yeah. Well, it matters, right? It matters. So does it matter if all you're trying to do is get some averages for some ground control? Well, maybe not, but maybe so, right? In the Northwest, we're concerned a lot about landslides and things like that can matter. They can be absolutely. material, right? Yeah. Well, even on your um, operation side, right? That 25 foot is gonna change how you plan that block, so. Oh, how do you do a road? If you put a road across it, whatever. So anyway, that's a, it, it was an interesting introspective, right? And it's something now that's actually written, actually that little event, which I took our, I took the contractor and said, what's going on? And they went, oh, uh-oh. And then they and then when they saw the pattern, they went, uh-oh. So they went looking for the pattern. Well, sure enough, it pops out a lot of places. All deep, dark draws that were probably wet, that were probably flown at a time when they probably shouldn't have been flown, probably too wet. Yeah. And so, and with the wrong laser. So then the other thing that's happened is technology's come along. And so the, 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 the laser that we used across North America was a Regal 1560II. Actually, it was an I, and then during the middle of the project, they upgraded it to an II, but it's basically the same thing, same technology, a little bit different software, from my understanding. And fantastic laser, fantastic thing. It's only $2 million each. At one point, the company who was flying for us down in Texas, Louisiana area, uh, had four planes up at one time. So why don't we have our own laser and our own planes? Because we can't afford $8 million of lasers. That's why. So would you, what if someone came, just thinking of people listening, and, and I know a lot of folks are, in the midst of, of doing projects or a finish and, and probably have thoughts just like yours. But if, if someone came and said, well, Bruce, I'm going to run something uh, that's not a regal sensor, would you, would you consider that or accept? Uh, so, so I think we're, well, it depends on the specs. So if you came up with another sensor, there's any number of other vendors, right? Yeah. Uh, and we have flown other vendors and uh, many other vendors. And um, they've been good for what they are. We're, we're super happy with that. How about this? We're super happy with what we get back from that sensor. Yeah. If there's another sensor that comes along, and it will be, because this yeah. is a sensor war thing is outrageous, yeah. right? Yeah. You don't changing. care. Got to meet the spec, and you got it. So the other thing about that Regal sensor is it's got a really high angle of attack, right? So, let me, so we'll talk about that for a second. So it's one thing, shoot a laser down and hit at Nader and get information. But for many years, 
decade probably. When was when was lidar when was lidar invented? It's a quiz. Well, when, it, when was it, lidar invented? Well, if you're talking profiling lidar, way back in the day, it was actually in the '60s by a Canadian researcher. And they used it in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It was used in Vietnam early, early on, and the major limitation was computer capacity. It wasn't the laser? It was the computing capacity. A little bit of power, probably, and probably a little bit with uh, I am using the plane and the and the instrument, but. Uh, and, and it slowly evolved because the computer capacity and speed of writing just wasn't enough to, the laser was always fast, right? But the detector needed to be able to detect and write quick enough. Well, so then that evolved into where we are today, right? Yeah, most people have no idea. It was invented in the 60s, right? And Canadian, no less. Yeah. Who would have thought? Absolutely. Lots, lots of smart Canadians. Most of them work for Olympiomatics, though. Yeah, That's, we, we, we yeah. just say sorry all the time and, and wait for... Uh, praises after the fact yeah. but no that's so so that's super cool so lots of as our listeners viewers are probably sensing like lots of again knowledge here that you've accumulated again from going to a conference yeah. at one point going to run away or just kind of buckle down yep. and say start yep. put, put my listening ears and leverage your forestry expertise so i just want to pivot us a little away from the inventory uh or the lidar side because i know at the start um and we can chat forever so i'll be mindful of our time but we talked about four systems so i want to touching that yeah so what rant i can pull out of the the great bruce ripley here but you know legacy scott mcqueen on this podcast said hey legacy works uh, legacy's legacy because it keeps it still works right and that's that's the definition of it but um what are where's your current thinking like there's old technology there's legacy technology there's uh there's is there a need to modernize uh transform or maybe do things different so that the advantages the benefits you're realizing from these new geospatial technologies can be really uh, the full value benefits extracted you know whether it's on your smartphone or or doing these different things where's your current thinking um now in terms of even looking at your organization again you don't have to share details about your stack as opposed to where you are now than what you've seen elsewhere are there any leaders in that space or maybe you folks are them and then and so more in that gis general geospatial what's your view on that world do you right now yeah so all of this comes back to back to systems right because all the cool stuff we spent 50 minutes talking about is 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 all really interesting and it's the best eye candy ever and it's it makes the greatest presentations because you can just put up the coolest things right yeah, and some, of the, some of the things that i can put up on the screen are just mind-blowing right but they're just pictures they don't make a dollar for you right they really don't where these things become actionable is when you can put not not the data, you can put information in the hands of a decision maker who can make a different decision today with the dollar they're about to spend. Dollar to spend on operations, dollar to spend on, on silviculture dollars. I'll just keep this in the forestry world. There's a million analogies, right? Um, Powerful so, statement. Powerful right, statement right so, there. So, so what, where do I see us? Essentially, I'll try to put this back in the same perspective we were here a minute ago. I see most of our systems, and at Many Life, we have redeveloped some systems for, um, for North America. We standardized our GIS. That's been um, partially effective, partially ineffective. 
from a data standpoint, we took all bunch of disparate different data sets that were built regionally and we moved those into a single flat North American model. Kudos. That's a very difficult thing to do. We've mm -hmm. done it. I would say, um, well, there's not overnight. Some, <laughs> not overnight. No, it took five years to do a one year yeah. project. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, there's some issues with how it came together. But nonetheless, the data is, I think, in one place, and that's a real positive. Now, our foresters would tell you, yeah, it's all in one place. Now I can't get to it, and I can't figure out what to do with it. Well, it's not the data's fault. Now you got an access issue. You've got an apps meets, meets technology stack issue for getting out information. So what our foresters are saying is, I can't get my data, and it's all broken, and it's in more. <sighs> Here's the piece that I think is evolving. And I'll take and say that this piece right here is what I look at and go, it's kind of a 90s solution to a 2030 problem, right? Is that the amount of information that we're spinning up with this technology, along with all our old, remember, we have all the legacy GIS, the millions and millions and millions of dollars invested in this, right? We've got all of that. We've got that whole stack. It's not well, it's not well organized to work together. And it's not well organized to work fast. And it is hardly organized at all for analytics. And where I see the next big push in this stuff is taking all this great cool data and, and moving it into actionable intelligence where someone who's making a decision, that doesn't mean they're a manager or not, or a field forester or not, or a field agriculture person or not, but whoever's making a decision has the right information summarized and quantified so that they can make a quick decision or at least can have the facts to make a logical decision to make an investment. Because whenever you do something, you're making an investment, right? In the end, that's what's happening, right? Yep. And, and that investment can either lose you money or it can make you money. And sometimes there's not a whole lot of wiggle room on that right i got a phone call from so it's 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 not an unknown thing that i'm i'm actually leaving the company and going to the university of idaho as chief innovation officer right so this first time i've talked about this publicly here um that's not unknown. i'm, I'm gonna put, I have to put there. a news flash right now like we're gonna have to do that fresh news on the digital forcer yeah, podcast that's right. hot off the press so, cool. so, Congratulations so yeah, I think it's going to be very exciting. And, it, and it's, a, it's a passion of mine for a number of reasons. And I, I think the University of Idaho is kind of uniquely positioned to start to help lead some of these things that I've been talking about, right? Um, it's not that I can't do them from within my life. I absolutely could, but I would be doing it for us. And I kind of have this desire to help advance the science, yeah. right? And, um, and so the... The um, I've lost my train of thought on where I was going with my story because it was connected up to that. Um, so so the um, we need to hit the replay button for like five minutes. Hang on, everybody. So 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 anyway, um, I'll I'll eventually figure out what I was trying we, to. We say were going there. on the actional intelligence. You know, it's just not about the data. It's like oh, yeah, yeah. someone needs so, to make a decision. Someone needs to make decisions about about things, right? And so and so, starting to 
broaden those tools, right? How, how, how do you do that, right? So I use Ops Dashboard from Esri as an example. There are other examples of those types of technologies, but, but those types of configurable apps allow you to extract data and present it to somebody really quick. So for instance, we have another product internally that tracks plantations in their young one, two, and three-year states, okay? And, and one of the really cool things that we did is that, is that I, I can defy you to find out any of our foresters who without about 10 minutes training could go in, open up the tool, restrict the scope of what they see to their operating area, because they don't care about everybody, but we present it through an interface that everybody's in, okay? They click on their area, and then click on another tab and they can say, show me, show me the plantations that had the worst survival from bottom, from worst to best. And it just, there it is. There's the worst one, period. There it is. Yep. It comes and tells, it tells you. You don't have to go look. You don't have to go search. It tells you where, that's what I think good analytics do. Good analytics help you look and go, here it is. Now, why is it the worst survival? That's a new, that's a new world. Yeah. That's the one that's that we've got to start. Why? So all of these questions now, I think we have some technologies that start to give you data. You can make better decisions. I never remembered where I was headed with this. So, so those are things that, why do you do that? Some of those whys, lots of people think they know the answer. And I will tell you that lots of people don't know the answer. So we started our plantation assessment 10 years ago because our one of our division um, general managers came and said, Bruce, nobody can tell me what my survival is. They can tell me what they guess the survival is because they take the two-year survey and they take what they think they planted. And then they go back and do a survey and then they say, well, our survival is X because I have now, I have this many trees, I had this many trees I put in. Except that some of the trees they measured at point two were naturals. Mm. Well, those weren't planted, those don't count. What, what happened to my nickel or 25 cents or 50 cents a tree that went in the ground? What happened to it? So we, we in, I came up with a scheme to go measure that pretty simply and pretty cheaply, right? Um, and what has come of that is now our ability to say, we actually think we understand a little bit about what's causing mortality. Oh, well, it's climate and, and carbon and all these things. And it's like, well, okay, those are exasperating factors, no doubt, zero. But what's really driving it is stock type C what? Nursery, planter, plant quality, those things drive survival and they're magnified by things like climate change. Yep. Right? So, but the root, the decision, so I'm a forester, I'm going to plant a stand, I'm worried about climate change. Well, yeah, no, because you got to plant a stand, it's only going to be for 30 years, climate change is a long-term thing, theoretically. And so now maybe you can make some different decisions, a little different decision about maybe what you plant there. But more importantly is how big's the tree? What's the stock type? How long was it in the nursery, right? So one of the things that came out of that is we were planting in a couple of places, we were planting trees that had been in containers for two years. And the nurseries had been telling us for a long time, oh man, those are really hard to grow. Those are really, they're not very good trees. They, they have bad roots, right? Well, we planted them anyway. And then we started finding out we had mass failures on them. 
<laughs> but but they wouldn't quit planting them because that's what they've always done. So yeah. it's culture. It's culture, right? Yeah. And so we went back and we actually got most of those pushed out of the system. And now we're back into stock types that actually do pretty good. They don't come out with dead roots. I like to call it, I like to say that we were taking trees, putting them in the ground, and they were dead when we put them in the ground. They just didn't know it. Took them about a year to figure out they were dead. And you went and looked at root egress on those trees. It never happened. They just made it with the resources they had kind of stored, right? And they went into really, you know, kind of famine mode. And then they died the second year. Well, when you do your, if you did one year surveys, you never saw if they were dying, right? So we are able to do that. So what I was going to say earlier was I had, a, I've had a forester call me. He said, oh, you're, 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 you're from the University of Idaho. Well, I work for a company and man, we need some help. And, and they want to grow, they want to go out and do, do pre-commercial thinning, but they want to thin to this really, really, really tight spacing. And they want to grow, they want to grow trees with really tight rings. And they think that they're going to grow taller quicker if they keep them tight. And, and, and I have a pet peeve about that stuff because you're going to spend money thinning trees. You better thin them down to something that's actually going to be actual, right? Yep. Uh, that's personal. Remember, I started my world as a physiologist. I like to think I still am. I live in a technology world and I talk about technology yammer on about this stuff. But yeah. Anyway, there you go. There's, there's cool. the story. It's pretty interesting. Some of those things are, are interesting connections that come full circle. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's data driving the, without the data, you know, people are flying blind. I, I often always say is ask the system your question and the system should give a, spit you back the, the data, the information you need and not like, like my analogy is often like, who cares if you rock an Android or Apple phone, you take a photo and you want to share it with your family, whatnot, and it goes into iCloud or, or some Google thing, right? Like you don't sit there and go like, like, how's this working? Like, like what system and like, how's this being shared? You, you just do it. But historically, I found as as someone in technology and forestry, the foresters wanted to know that, ask the questions. And what I'm kind of seeing now is they're kind of like, I don't give a belief on like what's happening behind the scenes. Like, that's why you guys exist. And, and that's an, a change I felt in the, the landscape. So to shift gears now, again, well, we've got about like a little bit more time with you. I know you're a busy guy. Um one year, three year, 10 years. So from a technology point of view, obviously heavy on the LIDAR, heavy on the system side. Um, what gets you excited? Like you're going to University of Idaho, taking on the chief innovation officer uh, title and, and obviously with a vision on where you want to take that to, to help people um, in the industry and maybe raise the bar um, in the industry do through tech transfer, knowledge transfer, whatever that is. But thinking of that journey that's coming, what gets you excited? Like, is it, you know, what is AI? What is ML, DL, machine yeah, learning, yeah. deep learning mean yeah. to you? What is EO? It's all hot mean to you, et cetera. What, share maybe for five minutes, share your thoughts and the vision yeah. you see the, in the future. Yeah, so, so you know, one of the things that, that I think, <clears throat> now, one of the reasons that, the, that, this, that this change is exciting me is that we can start to democratize some of the technology. So right now we've used, uh, so we didn't do any of this internally. There are companies who have done this internally. We decided to use a contractor to do our work, okay? For a number of reasons. Um, that's not how you have to do it. That's how we chose to do it. And um, I'd like to see starting to set up some standards, right? So what I'd like to do at the University of Idaho is start to set up some demonstration projects. I've talked to you a little bit about this set up some demonstration projects to say, this is what can happen. This is what you can do so you can see it because most foresters, it's a cultural battle we're in, okay? It's a, battle's not the right word. It's a cultural change. It's technology and blah, it's 
bling and but it's really about culture it's really about i've done it this way for 25 years why should i change well let me show you why you should maybe think about some of these things different right and i think no one else is doing this bruce it's like it's all like snake going nobody's done this at all nobody's done this nobody's done this except that there are people that do it right I want to get some demonstrations. I want to get some stuff where people can see it, right? So Limgeomatics has a fantastic set of tools, fantastic set of things. Most people don't know that. Most people haven't seen it, right? Your clients have seen it and they're obviously very loyal to you for a good reason, right? Um, uh, some of our other vendors have some products and but they're only serving that niche, right? They don't want to be everything to everybody. And I've, and I've told them that, don't, don't try to be everything. Try to be your best you. Don't try to be somebody else, right? So I'm hoping to start to do a couple of things. One is form up some kind of uh, co-op think tank. I don't know what, um, probably not traditional co-op, but something different that would allow companies to come together to talk about things like this and democratize ideas. And oh my gosh, what if I come up with this really cool idea and then uh, Warehouser comes along and takes it? Well, you know, God bless them. I, it's really not my, my issue. My issue is, is that without talking about these things, everybody's going to have to reinvent their own damn wheel. And that's what they do now. Everybody's inventing a wheel. I'd like to find a way to where we don't have to invent a wheel, right? Well, let's, right. let's, let's go, um, let's go uh, order a car with some different options on it. Let's not have to worry about building the wheels because that's kind of where we've been. GIS systems have been a bit like that right? Everybody built them up differently and they, yeah, it works, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. I, it's obviously worked. Yeah. It could work a thousand times better and you could spend your effort on, on making better decisions and providing better information when it's needed, right? So if you've, if you've been to the ESRI conference, you've seen all of these things that they do with public safety and it's all about getting the information to the right decision maker at the right time. Right. And when you're in an emergency setting, that's a whole lot easier to see what you need to do. This person needs that data to make a good decision about where to send resources. Okay. Or if you're in a, in a medical emergency situation, having the right things at the right place at the right time is super important. We don't think about forestry and agriculture in that same, and fire, by the way, we kind of ignored that, but fire is an important piece of this thing, Absolutely. right? It's all, it's all natural resource based, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm still so, trying to fire, find a fire technology person to come on the podcast. Well, yeah, that would be, yeah, that, that it would be good to, to hear that. Right? But thinking of that, so one of the key things is you, we, we mentioned, as you're in, right, there's open source technology, there's yeah. commercial, like, like yeah. my viewpoint is I don't really care. It's like, you know, the right technology, the best technology for the problem at hand is going to win. But for our listeners, I just kind of throw out there, like, you know, having come back from uh, the Esri conference just uh, recently, um, you know, what, what well, we, well, I, I won't ask you because I asked you. Uh, this question, you know the answer, but for our listeners, what would you say and viewers, would you say are the two hottest Esri products? Um, I'll give you a hint. It's not desktop. It ain't pro. <laughs> it ain't enterprise, <clears throat> right? And there's probably people going like, well, what do you mean? Like, those are the, the engines. It's dashboards and story <laughs> maps. Like just pause to think about that for a minute. It's yeah. like, it's not the, the amazing technology, <laughs> the complexity powering these things. It's freaking user uh, uh, dashboards and story maps and then to your yes. point why is that because that's the communication piece that's, that's where it yeah, matters it's like why. that's where we're making our decisions right and so if you really take a step back it's like the questions 
you may be thinking about right now to solve your problem, maybe the wrong ones. And so yeah. it's interesting for you to share your thoughts, Bruce, because I was expecting like, oh, technology 111. And yet you're kind of saying, you know what? It's bringing people together in the community. Yeah. It's 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 getting rid of some of the noise and then showing the art of the possible. And then where do we go together from there and not reinventing the wheel? That's yeah, fantastic. That doesn't exist right now as far as I, I know. So. Yeah, I'll give you one more. You asked me earlier about, you know, do I have any pro tips? Here's another pro tip. Here, here, here's one from my 35 years of doing this at a, uh, at the highly technical level, right? I mean, I've been all down in the guts of these things. So I like to think I'm, I've been, I've been in the, I've been at the garbage dump and I've been the garbage man for a long time. So I know lots about how that whole system works. Well, you, lots of times with development, you go ask your users, what do you want? And users have the hardest time, right? They, users want, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it, I think I used this with you the other day, but this is a misquote of Henry Ford. Henry Ford never said this, but he's said oftentimes, he said this, he said, if I asked my customers what they want, they would have said faster horses. Evidently he never said that, but it's a great quote from, from the point of view of lots of times, if you go ask somebody what they want, they, they, they're, only familiar with what they're familiar with. And they say, well, I want to do that better, right? So one of the things that I did, we started to roll out these ops dashboards for this plantation program, for instance, which are pretty, oh, you know, for, for what ops dashboard is, they're pretty, pretty sophisticated. Basic. <laughs> yeah, it's a basic tool. I'd say we're on the semi-sophisticated end of a basic tool, okay? Still far from what it ought to be. Far, far, far from what it ought to be. It's pretty interesting. And so instead of going to the foresters and saying, yeah, help me design this. I like, remember I'm a forester. I spent time in the field. I've done operations. I've been on that end of the business. Uh, I've worked in the landfill and the garbage truck. And so I have kind of a unique perspective on how some of these things come together. When, when I looked at that, I built a, I like to call them spitballs and then took that to users and went to some advanced users, right? I went to ones who, are more adaptive um, and said, so what do you think? Oh, wow, that's really neat. What about this, 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 this? Great. So I, I kind of known those things, but I waited on those because I wanted to hear some feedback. I went and added those things. Came back to the users and said, what about this? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, does, oh, what about, well, hmm, well, that, how about this? And so then your list starts to really narrow really quick. And then you come back and say, what, what, what else do you want? And they go, wow, that's, you know, that's kind of more than I can consume. So the other danger is that you try to put too much. You fire hose them. Yeah. You put too much stuff. It's the one thing about Ops Dashboard that is really nice is it sort of self-restricts. If you try to make it too complicated, it eventually just isn't going to work very well. So it kind of keeps you focused, right? So is that exactly the right technology? Uh, for some things, I think it's actually brilliant, right? It's a great communication tool. It does come up short in some other more advanced analytics. And that's where insights and some other tools come in, but they're harder to license and they're more of a headache and lots of other, lots of other issues around that, right? Absolutely. So, so like I said, Esri enables lots of really, really, really advanced, good technologies. Um, there are open source equivalent, semi-equivalents. They, they seldom are at the cutting edge of that, right? They're, they're back in the bare bones, meat potatoes type of world. Um, Nothing wrong with those. Uh, if that's what you're using, all I'd say is, are you unlocking your information? Yeah, the full because the worst, the, the worst thing that you can do 
it's where we started this whole conversation, I don't know how long ago, is that you take data and you put it into, and you put it into something like a DM or a database or whatever, and it stays there and doesn't serve any particular purpose other than eating up electricity to store it. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's, we got to find ways around those things, right? Yeah, around sure. those things. So, so I know we're, we're well over the, the one hour mark. It's a yeah. great conversation. So as we look to wind down, the question I always love to, and, and you and I both know we can chat forever, right? And the, our listeners ears are probably sensing as I knock my glasses off my face, sensing that um, we can ramble and, and brainstorm and we have in the past and, uh, and we'll do it again, truthfully. But the question I always love to ask, there's, I also sense a generational shift where the workforce is changing uh, just as a function of people getting older, right? And, and the questions being asked, the things people want to do uh, are very different. And, and so thinking of that, like for our younger digital forcers that are coming through school with different tools, different skill sets, what's, what's your advice to them as they join this industry that in some parts of the world are still, you know, chainsaw hand felling, right? Versus other parts are full, you know, CTL with like comms going all over the place. What would be your pearl of wisdom that you would impart on our, our younger uh, listeners and viewers uh, today? So, so here, here's what I tell most of the four young foresters that I talk to is that field experience is invaluable. You'll want to on the ground or not going away. You will want to skip that stage of your career because you want to go be the CEO or the or the, sure. or the chief forester or the manager. That's what you want to be, um, because you, you want to make a lot of money and not really work a lot. And, or you don't uh, work anymore. But yeah, that's right. Um, and so what I would what I've told many a forester is, don't whatever you're doing from anything that has a natural resource base to it. You really need to understand how things really work in the real world on the ground. And when you do, it'll give you a foundation for all of the rest of it. But if you sidestep that, you'll always have, you're, you're, you're gonna have a hard time understanding how things really work in the real world, right? Right, the things I learned as a first and second year forester in Maine still serve me really, really well in terms of, how does contracting really work? How does it work when a, with, when a logger moves their equipment? Why is that such a big deal? Why is it such a hassle to move around? Why is it, why is it that you have to think about that weeks ahead of time? Why is it that you can't just change on a dime, right? But, All but I can watch things. that on Big Timber on Netflix, I can do, Big Netflix, on. I can Come get on. on, absolutely. So funny enough, you said, you know, where, what's the other thing that I tell people? Well, uh, the change in workforce is enabling, I. I don't like to call it technology because I know lots of, look, I'm not a spring chicken, right? And I like to think I'm as tech savvy as most. Um, I also like to think I'm pretty practical, right? It's a hard blend, right? So the, the, the shift, I think, has been not so much about technology, but about mobile. I think, I think this, the, the, the okay. twist here is, is that our new, our new forestry world there's an expectation of being mobile. Not, not that you're enabling mobility. There's an expectation that this is just a normal part. You mean these weren't always around? What do you, what do you mean? Bruce is calling his phone for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, oh, yeah, that's right. Now everybody looks at a video, do they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 they've, got a phone, they've got a computer in their pocket, and they expect it to do a certain amount of things. Um, and that's another challenge. 
right? Trying to get analytics on a phone, very difficult as it turns out, that could just because a whole lot of it's visual, right? And so it's an interesting challenge. It, there's an evolving piece, right? How to get analytics and information portrayed across a mobile platform that's not, you know, over 12 or 14 inches. How, how do you do that? How do you do those things? Those are challenges, right? And they're not easy, right? Well, Even our, if you know our, the information. Right, but RTD2 already solved that problem, right? And so... <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you just, you just, you just, yeah, you just, you just project it up onto whatever. Oh, actually, he would just project it up as a hologram, right? Yeah. So then that would be, yeah, that sure that, and the, and I say, absolutely, let's do it. Where, where is it exactly? Again? Yeah. Well, well there you go. When you're when you're at Idaho, there'll be the research force and Bruce will get projected in hologram form yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, oh, hopefully you maybe we'll project you up there or or. <laughs> Or some other smart people. We'll put yeah, smart yeah. People. Well, well, it won't be us then, right? In that case, so I won't be there. So, so hey, thanks so much for your time, and I, and 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 I know uh, you got a little bit of time left with um, uh, Manulife, but for those who want to reach out to you, what's yep. the best way? Are you like a social dude, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, old school email? Yeah. Like, what's the best way for people to reach out? Because I'm sure people are going to go like, man, I want to talk to Bruce more and pick his uh, pick his brain. Yeah, yeah. So so LinkedIn is is a way to to find me. Um, I'm definitely on there and, and, uh, eventually I'll update everything once I get over to the university and start making some changes. Um, other, otherwise, um, otherwise send Kevin Lim and, and, and my note and he'll forward it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 so I'm closing for our listeners, right? So again, LinkedIn, you'll find Bruce, but if you really want to get to Bruce's heart, there's two things I'd suggest. So if you're saying, you know, I'm going to call Bruce up and, and I basically want to pick his brain. It's like, you know, it's like you get a little bit of time, but if you want full value, two things. One is I know you're a bit, you're avid uh, rafter water sport guy. So if you can yep. connect with that, um, there's one avenue. The other avenue, and you'll bust out laughing because you're probably going to think, don't tell the story. So for those who have been at an Ezra user conference, you have those tables that you can draw on. <laughs> Bruce loved these things. I'm not going to say he did a runner with one with his uh, oh, co-conspirator, oh, Peter, oh, Peter at Esri. I won't name his last name, but for those listening, next time you're at a user conference, any event, you see that table, you can draw a dry erase on it. Just grab one, grab one, do a runner, find Bruce, and you'll be like best buds forever. They're, they're awesome. I, 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 they're, I learned many, many decades ago, there are many kinds of, of learners and teachers. And I'm, I'm a kinetics learner and teacher, right? I have to draw and write and do things, right? So even today when I'm talking, I was writing things down, not because I'm going to look at it again, it just helps me think. Yeah. Um, and so uh, whiteboards are, are, have a special affinity for those. So when I do interviews, I almost every time, as long as there's a whiteboard in the room, I hand a, a marker to somebody and ask them to draw what they're trying to explain to me not that i care what the answer is i just want to see if they're able to connect the dots from inside their head to the dots outside their head because it's a great way to help teach other people Absolutely. especially field foresters who are tech you can do everything on the screen and technology big big pictures but can you do it talking to a lay person that needs to have lay words and lay thoughts can 
conveyed absolutely. to them. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. Come with a whiteboard. Of yeah, some that's kind. funny. Come with a whiteboard. Yeah. So, hey, my friend, thanks so much for joining. I know it's a Saturday on our ends and, and I, yeah. I know you're busy. So definitely appreciate you carving out some time for this guy to chat. And hopefully our listeners, viewers love the conversation. I loved it. Lots of gems, pearls of isms, trademark away people quickly before Bruce uh, logs off this, uh, this call <laughs> with uh, his, his uh, Bruceisms. But hey, man, thanks so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on the circuit and if not definitely at the u idaho and we'll chat some more yeah. and yeah, thanks no, so much oh thanks for you kevin thanks for everything you do for for me and for the industry you're uh you're a gem so i appreciate everything you guys do awesome we'll take care bruce all right see ya